Can you imagine a world in which good cheer and joy was in abundance 365 days a year and not just during the winter holidays? Sure would be nice to stretch it out. Why only in December? What if you could be joyful, playful, and optimistic all year round? What if that was your job? And what if that job also helped make lives better for kids who had experienced trauma? Well, you'd be one lucky dude. I don't usually use words like that, but my guest today uses words like dude and brother and cool and somehow manages to carry it off. He's not some new age Santa who spends all year here. He's a social worker who started a foundation that focuses in on helping kids who have experienced what he calls ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. But here's what I'm really fascinated by and why I wanted you to meet him. The focus of the foundation dollars are not just on the kids themselves, not directly anyway. This guy and his foundation believe that in order to better our most vulnerable kids, we've got to really support the men and women who care for them. Now that is cool. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it. And she is here to help. Steve Gross is a social worker and the founder and chief playmaker of the Life is Good Foundation. He's devoted his career to the service of our most vulnerable children. A pioneer in utilizing exuberant, joyful play to promote resilience in children and their caregivers, and a leader in the field of psychological trauma response, Gross is committed to the healthy development of kids facing tough situations. His talents have been called upon to respond to some of the great, greatest catastrophes of our time, including Hurricane Katrina, earthquakes, and the 2012 Newtown school shooting. At the heart of his work, he helps others access their own playfulness so they can build resilience and bring greater joy, connection, courage, and creativity to their work and their lives. He can also be seen as a panelist on NBC's Give, a reality show that shines a light on nonprofits and the power and responsibility of philanthropy. I met Steve through this production. You may know that I'm a regular panelist on the show as well, but we'll save some shameless promotion of that show until the end of this one. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. So I'm guessing that many listeners know about this company, Life is Good. Yes. Either seen or worn its signature clothing and accessories. Tell me about the origin story of Life is Good and how it was decided that 10% of the profits would go into a foundation. Well, I mean, I think one of the main things that folks may not know about Life is Good is that the mission or the passion of the company is not about selling clothing. So even though we're a t-shirt company and that they're, you know, we have a lot of products that say life is good, the focus of the organization has always been about spreading the power of optimism. And that there are lots of ways that you can do that. So the for-profit side of the company is a lifestyle brand and there's t-shirts and clothing that pair you know, original artwork with simple wisdom. But the idea is how do you bring a community of people together that um, share a common focus and share a passion for seeing the good in the world, focusing on the good in the world, and helping to grow that good. And then what the company really wanted to be about, and again, my, my focus, we're an integrated for-profit and not-for-profit. So I run the social mission of the company, right. which is also to spread the power of optimism, but we do that in a, in a different way, by supporting the frontline men and women who dedicate their lives to helping children heal and grow. So let me ask you a question. Sure. So the, when, did, 
the origin story of Life is Good, when, when the company was founded, was that part of the sort of the DNA of Life is Good is that there would be this social mission component? And I don't think so. I, mean, no, get added I don't later? think anybody, when you know, Bert and John started Life is Good, I don't even think you know, they figured that they would even ever grow a company where they started with $74 in the bank and all of a sudden have a sportswear brand that was grown to over a $100 million company. I see. I mean, these are guys that, in their DNA, is this idea about, it's, it's not about what you have, and it's not about material wealth. It's about doing good in the world. Right. And, you know, that's always been at the, the forefront of who they are as founders of the organization. Um, so, but once the company became successful, quote unquote successful. Yeah, because like 10% of like 74 bucks is not enough to start a foundation, well, right? Yeah, and, but 10% and, of, uh, you know, well, millions. What, what it came clear was that the company stood for something much deeper than, than Bert and John ever thought that it would stand for. And, and the idea being some people would think like, hey, life is good. Well, people who think that life is good, those are people who have had it easy and who are living fat and are hanging out on a beach somewhere and golfing and just living, quote unquote, the good life. But what we found was that the brand really resonated the most with people who life had been challenging for. Interesting. So the brand enthusiasts were not people who everything has been easy and that life has been perfect. It's been people who have dealt a lot of adversity and that through that adversity found that, hey, you know, even though life is hard, even though life isn't perfect, even though life is unfair, there is an inherent goodness to life. And so our brand enthusiasts have been, you know, optimists who are enduring optimists. And it, it's, you know, I think it's really important, and I'll state it again, this idea that it's not life is great, or life is perfect, or life is, you know, incredible. It's that life is good. Right. And we know when you live a full life, there's going to be sadness, there's going to be loss, there's going to be tragedy, there's going to be adversity. But within that, we can still find goodness and meaning. So uh, how did you get this gig? at running the social mission part of Life is Good. How long have you been doing it? How did it come your way? Aha, great question. How did I get this gig? Well, I fit the suit. No, I'm just kidding. What <laughs> I did was, so I grew up with Bert and John Jacobs, um, who are the founders of Life is Good. About five years before they founded Life is Good, I founded a, a small nonprofit organization called Project Joy. And Project Joy was all around providing therapeutic playgroups for homeless and impoverished children to give them an opportunity to get to play and laugh and connect and explore and do all the things that, that every child deserves to be able to do. And so when Life is Good was then fun, and Bert and John helped me to start the organization. Whenever I needed graphic design or we needed to do a fundraiser, they were friends of mine. I mean, John and I lived together in college. So a few years later, they started Life is Good. And when Life is Good began to get successful and they started to realize that, hey, we want to you know, we want to give back and we want to make sure, well, more than give back, we want to make sure that, that this brand is having a, a really positive impact on the world. Um, they looked at pairing up with nonprofit organizations and, you know, I was a good friend and I was already doing nonprofit work, so they were like, hey, let's check out what Grozy's doing. Oh, very interesting. And, and we started to do it together a little bit and then there was one day where Bert looked at me and said, like, hey, man, why are we half pregnant on this? Mm -hmm. Why are we like, hey, we're life is good and we're raising money and we have a Life is Good Kids Foundation and then we're giving money to Project Joy. Like, that's a little clunky. What if we were just one tribe? 
What if we were saying, hey, we're all here trying to spread the power of optimism. We're going to do it through t-shirts and you're going to do it through helping kids who have had to endure the impact of poverty, violence, and illness. So and that, we came that, together. That's fascinating because that answers, answers one of the questions I had, which was oftentimes when foundations get started, whether they're attached to corporations or not, one of the challenges is how do you narrow the focus on something that makes sense? And I, I, one of the things I was, I've, been, I've really admired about what you do is that the, the work you do is really connected to the brand, right? The, as you said, the people that were drawn to purchase, to purchase the clothing and the accessories generally are people who've had some kind of adversity. And sort of focusing on kids was sort of a, a connect, your personal connection with the founder as well as something that was quite mission-centric relative to the brand. Yeah, and really simple. I mean, we, we see the world through the same lens. We have the same language and the same, same beliefs. And we really truly believe in this idea of, of the power of optimism. And I'd love to take a second if I can, even though you haven't you know, asked me the question specifically, of like what this thing optimism is and how we kind of look at it and define it. Because as long as you can answer that question, which yeah. you should, I should definitely ask you, but I don't have to now. Okay. As long as at the, at the end you tell me about what it means to be a chief playmaker. Sounds good. Okay. You got Fair it. enough. But I mean, I think that, that there's a lot of misconceptions about optimism. That somehow optimism is just, hey, it's future related. Everything's going to be great tomorrow. Or it's rooted in kind of passivity or naivete. Um, did I say naivete right? Is I think you, you did. It? Thank you. Uh, you know, or, but that, and we see a lot of people saying like, hey, you know, I'm, you know, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? And I believe that optimism exists in every human being, or else you wouldn't be alive. And that optimism is really simple. It's about our ability to see the good. To see the good in ourselves, to see the good in other people, and to see the good in the world around us. If you can see the good at any level, you are part of kind of this optimism continuum. And so it's not whether you're an optimist or not, it's like kind of where are you in the continuum. And, you know, the once you can see the good in yourself, you can see the good in other people, and you can see the good in the world around you, well then the, the piece is, can you focus on that good? The world becomes a very different place if you and I are friends, but all I can focus on are the things that drive me crazy about you, instead of really being able to see the goodness in you, it changes our relationship. And I think, you know, optimists kind of, you know, see the world in terms of opportunity, where if you see the world through the lens of what's wrong, what's wrong with the other person, what's wrong with yourself, what's wrong with the world around us, then we tend to see the world more in terms of obstacles. So you're kind of an optimism evangelist. You know, may, I don't know, like I, I try not to be like, we try not to really be preachy. Mm -hmm. It's not like this thing like, hey, this is how you should be. I mean, the first thing is you got to accept and embrace people as they are. Some people see the glass as half full. Some people see the glass as half empty. Some people are just grateful to have a freaking glass. Yes. Some people, you know, <laughs> see the spots on the glass. And you know what? All of us, we need all of those people. You need people who see the spots on the glass because there may be a problem. If there's spots on the glass, maybe somebody's going to get sick from drinking from it. You know, but if all you can see is the spots, life gets very cumbersome. Indeed. So in terms of, a, you know, an evangelist, I think it's just to have a belief system that, that we believe in and that we can help a community come together and learn from each other and be inspired by each other. That's really what it's about. It's, there's no judgment about this is how you should be. Um, 
it, it's more celebrating people where they are. Right. So, um, so talk to me about this. Uh, talk to me about this notion that you are the chief playmaker. Talk about that for a minute. I, uh, I well, love the know, idea of that. So, on your so I've card. officially, you know, my title has now changed, but I'll tell you a little bit about that. So I am the chief executive optimist now of the Life's Good Kids <laughs> CEO. Foundation. CEO. CEO. Yeah. But chief playmaker was, you know, we call playmaker. Um, we use that term, and you usually hear playmaker in sports, and a playmaker is a person on a sports team where you want the ball in their hands at pivotal moments in the game. It's somebody who is good at making things happen, good things happen when the team needs it the most. So we use that term when we talk about child care providers, whether they're teachers, you know, preschool teachers working with impoverished young people, whether they're child life specialists working with kids who are undergoing um, life-threatening, you know, who have life-threatening medical issues who are getting medical treatment, whether they're a boys and girls club, you know, staff person who's working in a boys and girls club at an underserved community. They're playmakers. They make life-changing differences in kids' lives when kids need them most. So that was kind of the term that we had. And when I first came and was taking over the, when we merged the Project Joy with Life is Good, and it was like executive director, I, I, I don't feel like an executive director. You don't look and like an executive thank director. Thank you. And then I was like, and like, <laughs> I don't feel like Whatever a chief an executive, executive optimist. Like. You know, it was like when I when we had the title, it was just something that like, hey man, I, I, what would make me most proud would be a, to be a chief playmaker. Nice. And I, so I love the idea. And, I just love the idea of it. it and, yeah. And I, so it leads me to the thing that I. Um, it's interesting. We're actually here on the set of the, of Give, the NBC show that. Uh, you and I are part of uh, and have the privilege to be a part of, and we just did. You're excellent on the show. By that, thank you. You know, I was going to say, I, you know, you beat me to it there, Steve. Thank you. Um, so, um, the episode that we uh, just shot was about innovation, and uh, I'm really what I'm really intrigued about is the work that you do to take care of the people who take care. And I want you to talk. Give me an example of of you know, uh, uh, um, uh, an organization that you work with and, you know, a specific example of something you do to take care of the people who take care of Cool. People. So, you know, I think one of the things that, so I'm, I'm going to frame it, when, when you think about somebody who is in the life-changing relationship business, because really that's the one thing that all people who work with children and adults, I mean, every human being in some level is in the human services because everything we do has an impact on humanity. But if we look at childcare providers, all of them are in what we call the life-changing relationship business. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a social worker, a psychologist, a, a mentor, a coach. Now, to be effective in the life-changing relationship you need business, you need two things. One is you need a professional skill set. If you're gonna be a teacher, you gotta know how to teach. Yeah. If you're gonna be a social worker, you gotta know how to be a social worker. That's your, your training, your vocational skills, where you got your education. And that is a really important piece. But the other thing that you need is you need an optimal disposition. You need to come in with the right vibe. Are you fun? Are you loving? Are you compassionate? Are you creative? Are you authentic? Are you grateful and positive? When you have a great skill set and then you have the right vibe, you can be a playmaker. Okay, so now tell me about something, uh, something you're really proud of, a very specific example, because I, I I agree with you completely in concept, but I also recognize, because I see that in my clients every day, the optimism, the, the joy that they take in being able to do this work, but I also see stress, overwhelm, exhaustion. It takes its toll. So 
Give me a specific example of something the Life is Good Kids Foundation has done that plays into what you've described. So the first thing that we do, let's say we're working with an organization. I'll share a couple of organizations. One organization that we work with, we're right here in New York City. We work with an organization called University Settlement. University Settlement is the oldest settlement house in the country. And so they do unbelievable work, whether it's early childhood education, whether it's helping new immigrants who are coming into the United States who are having to deal with you know, poverty, having to deal with you know, leaving their country and coming and resettling in, in the U.S. They deal with a wide range of societal and social issues. Now, all of those staff people, they don't get paid a lot. Right. They have tremendous, I mean, they have exposure to people who have very difficult and hard lives and challenging lives. So the first thing that we do with that organization is to try to look at and say, how do we help you create an optimal environment for your clients and for your staff? And by optimal environment, is this a place that's joyful? Is this a place where people feel loved and connected to their coworkers? Is this a place where people feel engaged and inspired by the work that they do? And is this a place where people feel empowered and that they have the resources to do that job and to kind of assess that? So let's say, and so let's say you find that you have some of that, but, but also that the work has taken its toll sure. and the joy has waned. What specifically do you do to help sort of bring the joy back? Well, I think it's not really, again, what we do. Right. It's what you empower the organization to do. The first thing you do is you find that, hey, this is a value and this is important. First thing you got to do is identify, it is a value of this organization that our staff are joyful, that our staff feel like a community and a family, that they're inspired, that they're engaged. Once you set that as a goal, then you work together to organize, to take action, to do things that are going to enable that to grow. Can you give me an example of some of an action that, that an organization, because I, 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 every single person listening to you totally agrees with you and wants to know one specific thing. So when you, like one specific thing. So, so yeah. in, in an organization, one of those things might be, you know, I'll give you one of them, that staff never have time to share and collaborate best practices. So that becomes an issue about like, hey, it's one of the ways it's hard to be, you know, to feel like you're part of a community when we all have great ideas, but we can't hear each other. We can't sit with each other. So working with an organization to carve out time where staff can be together to have communities of practice where they can learn from each other and share ideas. One might be, hey, this organization doesn't celebrate the victories of this organization. So then you look and say, well, let's have sessions where we look and highlight and have shout outs of all the amazing things we accomplished on a daily level, on a weekly level, on a monthly level, and let's celebrate those victories. Um, you know, for empowerment might be finding out from your staff, what are the things that energize you and that you love to do and what are the things that are hard and tedious and how do we help staff focus and spend more time doing the things that energize them and leave them to feel more engaged and inspired. And another thing I'd just say is also helping people to create what we like to call a playmaker practice. So as a staff person, if you were to ask your staff, what are you going to do to bring more joy into your life? What are you going to do to bring more connection into your life? What are you going to do to bring more inspiration and creativity in, into your life? What are you going to do to feel safe and empowered? And have people focus on those things. You know, what gets measured is what gets done. And so when an organization values and says, hey, our climate and our culture is important to us, and we want to improve our OOP, which is the measurement instrument, it's called an organizational optimism profile. Nice. And that, 
an organization takes it as a top priority that we want to improve our organizational optimism profile. And so we're going to take a number of actions. Might be additional training and st for staff. It might be more community gatherings where staff can get together and recreate and introduce their families and spend time together doing fun stuff. We call them joyages. The organization's <laughs> taking outings. It's about, you know, we do a, some, a few things that life is good that we do is, is a little simple thing that was, was a practice from one of our team members when we started to look at this was before every meeting, let's take two minutes of mindfulness together. Let's take some time where we sit together and we breathe and we have a little moment to just clear our minds before diving into the work of the day. Even before we work in a staff meeting, we'll do something we call news ball, where you just say, hey, before we dive into the meeting, here's the news ball. Anyone got news that they want to share? And it can be any kind of news from your life. And someone might pick up the ball and say, hey, you know, I just want to say my, my mom is really sick and I've been I had to spend the weekend yeah. taking care of her. Well, in a lot of companies, you don't share that personal narrative. Yeah. And in an organization that is looking to, in, you know, to create a more joyful, loving, supportive, inspiring environment, you got to carve out time for people to share their stories. Um, very, very. Is that specific enough? Yeah, that's pretty, pretty okay. specific. So I'm assuming, based on that, that you, um, you do not provide grants to these organizations. You actually, uh, your team actually provides these programs directly to these organizations. Yes, yeah, so we don't, you know, we provide grants, but instead of giving a check, we're giving kind of a suite of services. Yes, yeah, got it. Okay. So from what we call discovery retreats, we don't call them trainings because I don't think you train someone to cultivate, you know, their sense of compassion, love and joy. You get into a room and you look at discovering what has always been a part of you and kind of to discover something is to uncover it. Absolutely. So we are talking to Steve Gross, who is a social worker. He is also the CEO, but here it stands for Chief Executive Optimist. Yes, ma'am. Of the Life is Good Kids Foundation. Um, he is also someone that I met here on the set of NBC's Give. Um, so I love talking to people who have really cool jobs and asking them this question. Okay. Uh, when you were like 10, what did you want to be when you grew up? Professional basketball player. Um, no one can see Steve Gross. He's not the tallest guy. He's like five, in the, six. I'm, you know, he's you like in the nice. Isaiah five, Thomas six. kind of category, I'm right? Five six. Um, there, as far as I'm, I know, there's no five six Jewish basketball players <laughs> in the NBA right now. But I wanted to be a professional basketball player, and um, that was what I wanted to be when I was ten. Yeah, I also was thinking to myself, the question was, what did you want to do when you grew up? And as somebody who's the chief playmaker, I, perhaps I shouldn't necessarily assume well, that growing up was something you aspired to. This is what I always wanted to do, which is the idea of like doing something that you feel is of value. Um, when I believe it's not because I'm a good person, but when you are of service, when you can actually help other people, you end up helping yourself most. And so I really felt that, that the work of, of being of service, being of value, um, is the greatest compensation package you can ever receive. And, and my distinct competence, and someone once told me, you know, hey, you, you want to help people. Well, what are you going to help them with? Yeah. What are you competent in? Yes. And I didn't have many things that I was competent in, but one of them was playing. Mm -hmm. And I love children. And I thought, wow, what if I could help society by helping children to be able to play and to experience what it felt like to be in moments where they felt a sense of joy, connection, engagement, inspiration, and that's what got the ball rolling. Um, 
I love the story. I love the story because it speaks to um, creating, sort of, sort of determining your own path and your own future based on an assessment of what you really care about and what you're really passionate about. And you and I have had these conversations about how passion really drives people's success, whether that's, you know, and it can be corp passion in some corporate environment. It doesn't have to be nonprofit. But that passion is a driver, and that that you know one of the things that I read a lot about is that college grads and recent college grads um, that they that that there isn't quite enough of an assessment of what people are really passionate about. So I love 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 the story. Well, we, we pursue the wrong stuff, you know. According to like you know, no one ever says like, "Wow, I was really happy because I made a lot of money." You know, where people are... Well, I think are, some people actually really do say that. But. They may say it, but, but it, it, it almost seems like the evidence doesn't really support that. Yeah. That in the end, the quality of a person's life is, is about the quality of their relationships, the meaning that they have in their life. Yeah, they talk... And, is it, it, I can't remember the guy's name right off the top of my head, but the, the key element of, of happiness is purpose. Yeah, I think that was Steve Gross. No, it was not. It could have been. It you could have been. You don't know that for sure. So I'm moving on now. Okay. Um, how long have you had? How long have you been connect now? Sort of the, this joint connection with Life Is Good. How long has it well, been? We officially merged from Project Joy to the Life Is Good Kids Foundation, Life Is Good Playmakers about six years ago. Six years. Okay. Um, but so, I've been at this for like twenty-four years or something. Okay. So I, um, I want you to tell me. We have just a couple of minutes left. Um, tell me a few things you have learned. You know, like big life lessons for you. Um, you can tell me about kids, or frankly, I would like, I would actually be more interested in, although I love kids, I have some of my very own, a few things you have learned about the people who do this work, the people who are engaged in nonprofit work. Tell me something you've learned about them. Well, I, I think one of the things that I've learned about the people that do this work is their passion and their drive and their commitment. Um, can sometimes get them in trouble. And what I mean by that is, you know, you are so, con you have such conviction and you want to help so badly and you keep persevering and persevering and, and mentally you can kind of rationalize and keep going, but your, the body sometimes breaks down. And so I've seen people who have wanted to sacrifice so much and be of service and have had to endure so much stress and so much hardship and they keep going, they keep going even when it gets really hard and they don't stop until something happens where they break down and they can't do the work anymore. That's exactly right. And so I think this idea that you have to put others before yourself, I think that is BS and I think you know what that stands for. I do. I mean, I think that we, you know, there has to be a level of, you, you know, you can't share what you do not have. And so if you want to be able to instill joy and connection and love to other people, you have to have joy and love and inspiration and abundance for yourself, and you have to be willing to put yourself first and to be self-serving in acquiring the things that you want to be able to share with children. And so I don't think this, this idea of being a martyr, I think we got to lose that idea. The other thing that I think is really important is that we are, we can keep growing and cultivating. There's a myth sometimes that hey, you know, these are the unteachable skills. You can't teach someone to be loving and you can't teach someone to be compassionate and you can't teach people to be creative. And that is wrong. Those things can be cultivated and we are always growing. 
there is incredible neuroplasticity in our minds and our abilities. And so even today, you know, I'm never going to be faster than Usain Bolt. But if I train myself, I can be faster than I am today. Somebody may not be wired to be as compassionate as Mother Teresa, but they can increase their level of compassion by practicing it. You can practice compassion, you can practice love, you can practice courage, you can practice creativity. These things are within our reach and we can grow them all the time. Those are pretty good lessons. And, um, I, and I just have to say that in working with clients and the vast number of emails that I get uh, through my blog, I hear, I hear this, the intensity of the work and the lack of self-care all the time. Um, so um, let's do some shameless promotion before we, Talk um, before, we before we leave here. Um, how did you get involved uh, in, uh, in Give, the, the TV show that we're on, yeah. on Saturdays on NBC, That's Check Your Local question. Listings? great question. But I know. <laughs> I like, didn't think it was that hard. Well, you know, because I think that, you know, Give was connecting with Life is Good and Life is Good being involved, and, and there was a connection between um, our head of marketing at Life is Good and the team over at Give, and they saw it as a really cool collaboration because yeah, they love right. the company. And then I think Lisa, who works at Life is Good, had an idea like, hey, maybe Steve could be one of the panelists. And I did it, and I didn't screw up so bad that I actually got called back. And I think it was largely because of you and, and, and I. I believe we had a chemistry. I think it was unmistakable. <laughs> I think you brought out the best in me. And don't, don't laugh, because I think it's true. And I think um, I got invited back. You did. And, and um, do, you, do you deny the chemistry? No, no, of course I would never deny okay. it. I Thank can't you. deny it. Um, uh, what do you think of the show, really quickly? Love the show. Yeah, I mean, I mean besides your own breakout no. performance. I, believe me, my performance is not the strong point of the show, but a show that is designed to shine a light on innovative nonprofit work that's about making the world better, I mean, how can you beat that? You can't beat it. You totally can't beat it. So uh, to complete the uh, shameless promotion, do look for uh, Give on NBC on Saturdays and do check your local listings. That's for not the a completion time. of the shameless promotion. What about if you want to get some great optimistic apparel, go to www.lifeisgood.com. There you How's go. That? So my listeners are ju either just arriving at work, just arriving home from work, or just climbing off of some piece of gym equipment and probably need to be on their way. And so too do we. Um, Steve, thanks a lot for um, joining me. It feels like your message is um, perfectly well-timed for the um, winter holidays. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, one last thing. Um, individuals can donate to Life is Good Kids Foundation, can't they? Yes, they How can. How do they do that? Well, if, Speaking if, of shameless. Well, I mean, one of the cool things is if you go on to the Life is Good website and, and if you were to even buy something at Life is Good, 10% of all net profits go to the Life is Good Kids Foundation. If you're interested in more about the Life is Good Kids Foundation, just go on to Life is Good and look, you'll see a, a link to foundation and uh, learn about the work that we do and you can contact us and we'd love to have you part of our community. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for the work that you do, Steve. And um, for those of you listening until next time, um, please remember you can always join me at joangary.com. That's Gary with two R's. And subscribe to my weekly emails targeted to those who lead nonprofits at the, both the board and the staff level. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast, there are about 25 others on iTunes that cover a bunch of topics that, um, that I think might, that I hope you will find uh, valuable. So wishing you joy and optimism all year round, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Joan. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, 
Jones' leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.